Now, Rachel Riddle was going to be speaking to us today, but um, Martin's mum and dad, who live in Spain, his, his mum passed away this week, and rather suddenly, and um, she'd been unwell, but um, the funeral was arranged for today. It's a very rapid process in Spain, so Martin and Rachel are there today, coming back tomorrow. But, um, so we, we hold them in our thoughts and prayers, but um, I'm going to be taking um, Rachel's place, but not really on my own. I'm Richard Pollard, my esteemed, the Reverend Dr. Richard Pollard as I like to call him, <laughs> who uh, leads our South Side Congregation, a really, really great friend and team member. So he's going to be sharing it. We talk about prayer and fasting. I'm going to talk briefly on prayer. Richard's going to talk more extensively on, on fasting. Um, and then we're going to have a chance just to go back into worship and, and pray with you before we finish. And um, we're going to be reading from um, Jesus' teaching on prayer and fasting in Matthew's Gospel, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. So I think there's Words are going to come up on the slide. So, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your face. I'll throw it on your head and wash your face. So it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Amen. We're all going to be watching Richard to see if he puts oil on his head later on today. But we'll, we'll just keep an eye out and just see what's going on there. Um, prayer, what is prayer? Speaking to God. I think it's two things. I think it's communication with God and communion with God. They're similar, they're linked, they're not the same. I think prayer is the space in which we voluntarily choose to engage with the living God who is always watching over and sustaining us, who knows us. And so as we pray, we enter into communion with him. And in that communi communion, we have communication. And you understand what that's like because you're probably all in relationships where you're kind of like in communion with someone, where you're in that sense of intentional fellowship, not always speaking, but the, out of that relationship comes the words that you speak. And so as we speak to God, as we are in communion with him, it's the, the core of our Christian lives is prayer. And yet it's so often it, it can be a neglected or marginalized part of our life because we're so busy, such activists, aren't we? We're about doing stuff. And yet the, the, the New Testament, the teaching of Jesus, tell us to prioritize prayer. 
There's a time when um, the apostles are building a church. They're really active. They're seeing many people come to faith. But they delegate masses of it because they said it's not right for us to neglect prayer and the word of God. And, and Jesus made, made space in his own life for prayer and taught and modeled a life of prayer in all of it because this is how we are really in communion with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, when we pray, there's a couple of little tips in the passage we've just said which teach us how not to pray. And the first how not to pray is don't pray in order to look good to other people. Don't pray as if you're kind of airing your piety or theological insights before people. Pray short prayers, not long prayers. Get to the heart of stuff. And um, I, I guess for many of us, um, the, the point isn't really about whether we pray in public or not, but it's about why are we doing it? Where's our heart in all this? God is after our hearts. And it's out of the heart that our mouths are meant to speak. You know, Jesus uh, or the, yeah, said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So does God have our hearts? If he does, then our prayers are going to be a particular way. But if actually our attention is very external, God doesn't have our hearts, our prayer will be a different way. I remember being in a prayer meeting in a Methodist church that I grew up in, and one gentleman called Frank prayed for half an hour nonstop. And one of them said, that's enough now, Frank, come on. But I think it was partly kind of, I want to show you what a good prayer I am. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, anyway. Um, second way, how not to pray. Don't pray like the pagans do, because they think they'll be heard by their many words. In other words, we feel like if we're really going to see prayer breakthrough, then it's really important we fill every hour of that 24-7 prayer room. And if we can accomplish that, then we're going to see some prayer breakthroughs that won't happen any other way, because God has seen our hard work and our, you know, <laughs> our commitment to him. And honestly, it's, it's, that's not the way it works. I remember someone talking to me about their friend who was on an 11-day fast. Well, he'd been fasting for 11 days because he really wanted God to do something for him. And, then, and in the end, after 11 days, he felt God speak to him. And um, I think what he said, felt God say to him was, just because you pray for, fasted for 11 days doesn't mean to say, <laughs> you know, that's not the deal. It's, we don't have to twist God's arm in order to see prayer happen. It's not about impressing God with our hard work. Prayer is about aligning ourselves with the one who already loves us and knows us. So Jesus is really clear in the Lord's Prayer. When you bring your knees before God, you don't have to, you know, make a whopping great meal out of this because God knows what you need already. God knows us. The question in prayer for us is, do we know God and do we know ourselves? And I think prayer is a place of coming to know God better and to know ourselves in the light of God's knowledge of us. And I, I, you know, I'm going to probably be unpacking that a little bit more later on today in the evening service. But just, just think about that. When we pray, we have somebody that we're praying to who's more committed to our thriving than we are. So our challenge is, how do we get in the flow of his blessing? That's why the Lord's Prayer is... Forgive people, because actually you will enter into a flow of blessing if you do that. Prayer in that place of forgiveness, it may be that you're actually in place of prayer. And you recognize that you're hurt by someone. And in that place of prayer, the Spirit of God gives you insight into the level of hurt and unforgiveness in your heart. 
And in that place of prayer, you release those people to God. You will thrive. You will feel the benefit of doing that because you're aligning yourself with the way the kingdom of God economy works. So there's a massive sense for us in prayer. How do we align with the economy of the kingdom of God, with the way the kingdom works? So we're saying your kingdom come, your will be done, is right at the heart of our prayer. One of my tips to us about prayer is, if you want your prayers answered, pray the will of God. Most of the time, if you're anything like me, you're asking God to bless what you're doing. The way that Jesus prayed was to bless what the Father was doing. And his prayers were different. They were authoritative. When, when Jesus was praying for the sick, it wasn't a kind of, God, if it's your will. You know, it was a, be healed. It was a very direct thing. Because he, he was aware, I'm coming as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I'm coming bring the kingdom of God. And I'm praying the kingdom into your life. And, and there was a time in, in Jesus' life where he didn't get his prayer answered. Can you remember where that was? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was in that place where Jesus actually had something which in his humanity he wanted to do. He wanted to avoid the cross. Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me, was what he prayed. But then he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he submitted to the will of the Father, went through that, and had an unanswered prayer for his own sake. And I haven't got time to unpack that with you right now. But I think it is a key. How do we find the will of God and pray it into our lives, in the lives of our city, our church, our nation, our world? And that's what the 24-7 prayer room is for. That's the place where you will make space in your life to align yourself with God, where as you reflect on the resources that are there, as you take time to be quiet and pray, as you take time out of a busy life, to prioritise listening to God and being in his presence and seeking his heart and knowing your own needs and desires, to find that you're able to begin to pray the will of God for yourself, for your family, for your city, for your nation, for the wider world. And on that note, I'm going to introduce uh, Richard to you. Um, just want to say that um, for the couple of years that we've been working together, um, I, I liked Richard beforehand, but I like him even more now. He's a, he's a, he's a wonderful friend and colleague and a godly man. I paid him to say that. But, uh, well, it's good to, be, good to be with you all. Hope you're all doing okay. But, um, so as Dave says, I just want to spend a few minutes just talking about fasting because part of the focus of this, uh, this prayer week is, uh, is fasting alongside, uh, alongside prayer for those who are, who are able. And, um, you know, I didn't have a very good uh, introduction to fasting. I don't know what your uh, experience has been. Mine was uh, back in the 90s, I was at university as a student, and our uh, student uh, Christian Union uh, was having a little mission, uh, and they said, oh, you might want to fast, and being the enthusiast I was, the mission was three days, I, uh, I went for it and said, you know, I'll just fast for three days, uh, which actually went okay, uh, but the problem was at the end of each day, I would come back from university, we had this amazing bakery at the end of our road, uh, amazing cream cakes, all that kind of stuff, I love that kind of food. So each day, I was kind of, oh, day one, I'll tell you what, I'll get a cake for when I finish, about two or three cakes. I think by the end of day three, there was like seven, eight cakes in the fridge. Got to midnight day three, stuffed myself. All gone in half an hour. I felt so rough the following day. I'll never, I'll never forget my introduction to fasting. Uh, came back to it a few years later, uh, after I'd been to Nigerians. I don't think I've ever met a Nigerian that doesn't know how to pray. And um, 
I was part of um, visiting the Redeemed Christian Church of God, which is one of the movements in Nigeria that hosts prayer, millions, prayer meetings for more than a million people. And I realized that um, both the church leaders of that network and individual kind of everyday believers uh, were regularly fasting, uh, some for as long as, you know, three weeks plus, completely abstaining from food uh, while drinking, uh, you know, drinking a lot, obviously, but uh, abstaining from food. And I chatted and said, how can you do this? I would have no idea from looking at you that you'd been fasting the last few weeks. And they just said, oh, it's just been really, really pivotal in our kind of helping us to live surrendered lives and keeping an impetus on, on sharing God with others. So that kind of inspired me. So when I came back to the UK, began to engage with the discipline a little bit myself. I'm sure there's a whole range of different spiritual disciplines that we engage with if we were to go across here. Well, fasting, I guess, has been the, the, the key one for me. So I began doing kind of day fasts, three-day fasts, five-day week, uh, three-week fasts. And then, uh, you know, sometimes I go beyond, uh, beyond that period as well. Um, and I've just found it, just found it really uh, invaluable. And, um, and of course, it's not just uh, fasting from food, is it? It doesn't really matter what we abstain from, as long as somewhere we're abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. As long as somewhere we are fasting with the, the goal of putting Jesus absolutely at the center. Uh, you know, there may be uh, people here, you may not be physically able to fast for medical reasons, or food might be a vulnerable issue uh, for you. Or maybe, uh, I don't know, the Lord will give you wisdom on what you could fast from, whether it's social media or buying certain kinds of things for a period. Um, I kid you not, the hardest fast I ever did was several years ago when I did a football fast. It was just a nightmare. I support three teams, Bristol City, Man United, Sheffield Wednesday. Didn't check any results or anything. What a nightmare. And I was thinking it would be even more of a nightmare if the Lord prompted me to do that again because I've got into fantasy football. Any fantasy football people here? Oh, I'm sure there's secret if I can see one over there. But um, I'm having my best season ever. Number one in the National Baptist Ministers League. Number four in the Evangelical Alliance. Got to pray for me to hit that top spot. And in 40,000th place, which doesn't sound that high, but 10.5 million people play fantasy football. And so, Lord, please don't call me to do a fantasy. At least not this season. I'll do it next season, not this season. But um, So my question for you is, what does the rhythm of fasting look like for you? What does it look like for you? What does it look like? What does it look like in the past? What does it look like currently? Certainly from Jesus' teaching, David already has put the scripture up from Matthew 6. Jesus says, when you fast, whenever that fasting might be from. And again, in Matthew 9, 15, there's a discussion about why Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And he says to those gathered around him that when he is gone, they will fast. Jesus himself, of course, fasted. And then in different places, we're given little glimpses into the kind of, uh, the rhythm that prayer had in the early church. So chapters like Acts 13, the very beginning of that chapter, we're told at the church in Antioch, in modern-day Turkey, that they were praying, worshipping, and fasting. Then Acts 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas went around some of the newly established church. They, they helped put leaders in place. And all that was done after a process of fasting. So it's there throughout. In the Old Testament, over 25 references uh, to the practice uh, of fasting. So what does it look like for you? How are you doing it? And let's just think briefly just about the benefits. You know, what are the benefits of doing it? 
And I think the first benefit, obviously, is to do with our upward relationship with God. It should allow you, within the busyness of life, with all its competing pressures, it should allow you to find a little bit more space to actually spend time with God. And I think that uh, you, can, you, you can even do this in the midst of juggling family, family stuff. I, uh, you know, I've done longer fasts with, with family and I'll often eat. Well, I won't eat. I'll sit with the family while we're having meal times, but I'll take the space at other times. So I think there's different ways of doing it. But I think that that space that fasting creates is just absolutely invaluable. I don't routinely journal. I don't know if you, anyone here, routinely journals. But I do journal when I fast. And just to write down what I feel that God is saying, or to write down different scriptures just to meditate on, to reflect on, just being invaluable. And it becomes a kind of self-reflection point of, am I truly loving Jesus of all my heart, my soul, and my, my strength? So a little bit of reflection, uh, and really being focused in my upward relationship to God about the things that I'm praying for, the several unreached people groups that I pray for. And I'm fairly systematic in periods of fasting and making sure I pray for those groups, making sure I pray for different groups of persecuted believers uh, in different parts of the world. And then all those people that I'm often saying I'm praying for, and hopefully I am, actually it becomes a point in time where actually I can say, actually I really am praying for these people. And that, that, that discipline of fasting will anchor my commitment uh, to be praying uh, for others. A second benefit of fasting clearly concerns the inward dimension. If you're like me, I'm sure that you have many different appetites. Some appetites are absolutely fine, but some appetites are less fine. They can even be destructive to us or destructive to the relationships that we're involved with with other people. And I think maybe there's something about the practice of saying no to food or whatever it might be for a period of time which maybe gives us a fresh ownership of spiritual authority to say no to the different appetites or temptations that might be competing for attention in our lives. One commentator writes, When we fast, we confront the civil war that rages within our hearts. When we fast, we declare war on our own sinful nature in the name of Jesus. We demonstrate that we have switched sides completely. We are all in for Jesus, even if it means resisting our flesh. And as a result, we find that we are much more able to operate with his authority. One verse that I repeatedly come back to, to do with the inner dimension of fasting, is Hosea 10, verse 12. And I just love this verse. Hosea writes, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. And so for me, fasting always involves that dynamic of breaking up the unplowed ground. Where am I allowing myself in my life, my spiritual life, to be too hard? Where does the Lord want to break up and renew and pour his spirit in and pour fresh life and fresh perspective? So there's the upward dynamic, there's inner benefits from fasting, and of course there's the outward thrust of fasting. One of the most beautiful verses to do with fasting that I'm sure many of you know is Isaiah 58. 
And, and Isaiah is really trying to root fasting in, a, in an appropriate place of worship before God. And he writes this when he's talking about the true nature of fasting. Fasting is, is about if you spend yourselves. Oh, no. Here we go, sorry. A few verses earlier. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. Don't you like that? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. And so the nature of true fasting has an outward working. For me, I just love the inner benefits of fasting that I've just found invaluable. Some, some, some people say, how, can you, how have you functioned as a church leader for over 20 years? Sometimes I say it's a product of Sky Sports and fasting. But fasting is it's always there. But fasting, it's got to have. The true heart of fasting is this outward application and I think part of the ways that it can work within you, and some of you may have experienced this from fasting or other disciplines, is that it works, it should work, to keep your heart soft. So those people, those circumstances of injustice, different issues that we are faced with in our city and we're so familiar with, even walking up here today, I saw six people sleeping on the streets. I think there's an aspect of fasting which should keep us compassionate, that should keep us walking in a spirit of empathy, that should keep the priority of those who don't know Jesus at the absolute fore of our thinking. And of course, alongside and closely affiliated to the outward dynamic is spiritual breakthrough. Scripture is full of different examples where people have fasted and breakthrough has taken place. You might want to look at passages such as 1 Chronicles 20. That's where King Jehoshaphat is being hounded by loads of uh, opposing forces, causes people to fast. Uh, and there's a great breakthrough and victory that occurs. We have the story of Esther who saves God's people. And fasting is instrumental there in Esther chapter 4. Got people like Daniel. And Daniel chapter 9 receives amazing revelation and wisdom, which is so key for uh, the exercise of his leadership. And that's on, the, that's on the back of fasting. Now, as Dave's already said, fasting is not a magic bullet. There are some things that I've fasted for that haven't taken place, at least not yet. So it's not some magic bullet, but there's certainly a link between fasting and spiritual breakthrough, whether that's in your own life or whether that is in wider circumstances. So let me, this prayer week, encourage you to engage with fasting, whatever form that might take. Maybe try a, maybe try a longer fast. I was surprised, obviously I've been fasting from food, I was surprised to find that I could do it. Even on my longer fast, by the Lord's grace, I, I'm able to uh, operate a full, a full diary, a full active diary, and the Lord has sustained me doing that. Um, for those who have done fasting, I, I'm not sure that anything is worse than the first 24 hours. I think once you're through that first 24 hours when it comes to food, things tend to stabilize, and then you can kind of just ride out the different hunger pangs that you get. 
depending how long you fast for. If it's a longer fast, obviously you make yourself accountable uh, to someone else uh, in that process. Also, if you are um, if you're a people person, if you're an extrovert personality, then maybe try and fast with someone else. You don't just have to do this on your own. Actually, you know, take the, the momentum, uh, the uh, sense of encouragement that can come uh, from doing this mutually. And let's be passionate about it, but let's not get too intense. Uh, grace sets the pace, doesn't it? Grace sets the pace on all the disciplines that we do. But the key thing is, is that somewhere we have an expression in our spiritual walk of fasting. Amen. Thanks, Richard. Um, Richard has shared with me sometimes when he's been on a really long fast. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, we went away as a core leadership team in January. And um, when we go away for a little retreat, we, we kind of take some nice food and drink with us. And Richard was on a long fast, and we all sat around this big table <laughs> eating and drinking. Richard with a little glass of water there. <laughs> it was lovely. Um, <laughs> so just to say, if, again, if you, if you do want to try fasting for the first time this, this week, why not go for a Tuesday when we're going to be gathering together? Um, and maybe in, in both the disciplines we've mentioned, food and, and, um, and in prayer, to feel like I'm going to just extend a little bit. Maybe I normally make space in my life, have a five-minute quiet time every day. Try ten minutes. Let's try and make sure that we can um, really fill, um, we can push into more that, that God has for us. And as a church family, um, we, we so much cover your prayers. But we're going to go into worship and prayer as we finish now. And and, and to be honest, um, every Sunday when we get together, we want to be able to pray for people who come with a need for that breakthrough, for that healing, for that sense of, of a word of, of guidance or wisdom from God. And in a moment or two, as the worship team come back off, some of us will be on the, the, the corner down there on, on the right-hand side of the church. And if you'd like some prayer, uh, just come out of your seats. It's not, if you're a visitor here, it's not an odd thing to do. It happens all the time. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, but let's just... Let's, just come into land as we close our worship uh, service with, with some more sung worship.